At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art. This is a podcast that explores the themes of self and community healing, whether as an artist, curator, collector, or admirer. I am your host, Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a Chicano clinical psychologist with a passion for promoting and preserving Chicano Latinx art. I'm working in conjunction with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, an online marketplace that showcases and promotes the work of Chicano Latinx artists throughout the United States. Our guests for the podcast will include celebrated artists, collectors, curators, and influencers who will share their experiences and perspectives on Chicano Latinx art as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx art. We wanted to talk about our first guest. I'm going to do an introduction. He has his own Wikipedia page. Victor Ochoa is an activist, painter, graphic designer, and master muralist. He has painted over 100 murals, many of them in San Diego, California. He is considered one of the pioneers of San Diego's Chicano art movement. Victor was one of the original activists at Chicano Park in San Diego and a co-founder of El Centro Cultural de la Raza in Balboa Park. He helped establish the influential border art workshop Taller de Arte Fronteriza. He is also a teacher of art and Chicano heritage. His work has been shown nationally and internationally, including at the Venice Biennial, at the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego, and at the groundbreaking exhibition Chicano Art, Resistance and Affirmation. In addition to creating his own work, he is also a master of art preservation techniques, especially relating to murals. He is considered to be a serious cultural resource in the border region. And that is just one third of his Wikipedia page. Welcome, Victor Ochoa. ¿Cómo estás, compadre? I'm doing very good. I'm, I'm feeling the, my studio, which I, I miss here in Tijuana. I don't know if you see any of my older work behind me. Um, I would, uh, it's uh, the vibes. I can only explain that the vibes in Tijuana are so different than the United States. It's always a good, uh, a good uh, pleasure for me to be here, and uh, and it's a pleasure to be with my compadres from LA because I was born in LA. Um, right. You know. What? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal history? I was reading up on your history. You have very interesting origins. Tell us about yeah. that. Where were you born? I think I think my history really is I was born, you know, undocumented parents. 
in South Central. You know, in, in 1948, South Central was like a, a old uh, motel, little cabanitas with uh, with cars next to them. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, I remember what it looked like, you know, and, and people say, oh, South Central, but people remember South Central from afterwards. Um, I grew up in 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 pretty much uh, Huntington Park and, um, you know, um, I actually lived in Montebello and stuff like that. Uh, but um, when they found it, when they caught up with us in 1955, they booted us out to Tijuana, which now in when I see it back, I, I, I kind of thank the Migra for doing that because, you know, I have a lot of cousins that still live in, in L.A., and they're really tapados, including their Trumpers and stuff. So it's like I'm glad that they taught me, you know, here in Tijuana how to be a Mexican, to speak Spanish, and uh, uh, a history of Mexico, which when I started painting murals afterwards, uh, I was one of the few Chicanos that knew some of the history of uh, of Mexico. And I know, like, we, we had some issues about how many Chicanas how many women are we going to put on the mural? And, and I knew like Jose Ortiz de Dominguez and I knew a lot, a lot of uh, uh, Mexican heroes and, and important people. So it was mm-hmm. a blessing, I, I think, in disguise to to move to uh, Tijuana to like that. And I did the same thing with my kids. I wanted them to to go to school here as well. Right. And it sounded like that's kind of where you began to develop your cultural pride as a Chicano having that experience and seeing it from the other side of the border. Yeah, no, it, it, it was. I mean, I I felt fascinated with uh, the history. And my, my grandfather was an archivist. Oh. And uh, when when I did tell him that I was a Chicano, he was so uh, thankful because out of the 50 grandkids that, that he had, I was the only one that disputed Anything what he used to call Yankees because my my grandfather was from the 1900s, so he had some definite problems the way him him and his family were treated in the 30s because he he landed in Catalina Island and they pretty much treated them like blacks in the south, and so he he gave up all his documentation and. He moved to Tijuana. He never returned. Interesting. And what was your first exposure to, uh, let's say, Chicano art? It's specifically, when did you kind of begin that journey as an artist? Yeah, I, I, I read I read that on your list. And uh, see, you know, you're talking to somebody that's 73. Mm-hmm. And when I started, I started calling myself a Chicano in 67. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and so... When I went, I was in college, I was one of the ones that started uh, Chicano studies with uh, Alurista and and some of the other professors at that time. So it was kind of, you know, when you asked me who was my my kind of like, um, I don't know, like a, a role model of some sort. I had friends. I mean, a real good friend of mine is John Balades, for instance. Uh, I've known him since the '60s, and uh, I've always loved his pastels and and stuff like that. But you know, it was more like we were 
were compadres, like you said before, like we we were together. I mean, we were, it um, it wasn't that we, look, I look back at it, we were like forming the, the movement together. You know, I know uh, the, the first um, mural, the Chicano mural that I heard about was, was the one in Chicago, 1967, uh, Casa Aztlan, um, that uh, was like the first ones. We, we used to have this uh, magazine called Community Murals, um, and that we used to get a lot of information of what was going on throughout the Southwest and Chicago. And um, so, you know, there was a lot of people in there that we, we recognize, I mean, but we, you know, it was, you know, one of those things where we were all doing similar kind of a, almost a radioactive uh, right, right. Uh, part to it. It was like an explosion, you know, of, of a movement. Yeah, that's amazing. So you were all, you guys were all new peers at the time, kind of developing what was maybe a new art form uh, that was kind of stemming out of the Chicano movement. It was the arts movement. Right. Yeah, he's... East Los Streetscapers uh, were there. Magoo, uh, which I'm going to be having a show over there in Pomona in September. Um, that uh, we, you know, we were like compañeros, you know, and we. It was fun because we had that, um, you know, where we would get together nationally. You know, we we'd have a, a concilio, concilio de arte popular that, that formed, and we met in. In LA, we met in Albuquerque. We met in you know different parts of Southwest, and so that's how we didn't have you know cell phones and emails and all that kind of stuff. I think uh, community murals was what uh, something that that really brought us together. Amazing! And when did you first realize that you, your personal calling is an artist? At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, that that's that that happened really early. I I've always had the this thing. I know my mom always remembers when she was babysitting some kids, and I was five, and I did a a guy with a suit and a tie and a cigarette in his hand with with his knee, uh, his leg over his knee, and a hat, and all the rest of the kids were doing stick figures. And she goes, "Oh man, that's that's kind of unusual," you know. She she really, I don't know, she was kind of surprised, but when my first grade teacher um, said, oh, señora, usted tiene un artista, uh, you know, I, I just drew 
drew stuff that they were telling us, you know, like those those uh, newsprint things where I remember this one they hung up on the hallway. I'm flying over the city and I had I drew the city hall in a plane with propellers at that time. And, and I'm in the window waving my hand. And I, I still remember that. I really boost your ego when, when stuff like that happens. But I've been doing uh, art, visual art stuff since I was a kid in every grade. Uh, I won a big uh, dental hygiene uh, uh, thing citywide here in Tijuana. And uh, that was a, another, you know, kick in the head too, you know. Amazing. So you were a kind of a savant, I guess, from early on. What... Um, yeah. What um, what do you think kind of began to kind of, so you have these early experiences as an adult and a muralist, what, what, what were some of the most affirming things that happened uh, to, the, to you as a Chicano artist in your early career, if you can remember that? Well, you know, just recounting a little earlier, um, the first scaffolding, we put a, a scaffolding, our first Chicano mural in San Diego was in, inside the Centro Cultural and uh, de la Raza. I should finish it off because we have a Centro Cultural in Tijuana too. Um, and putting up the scaffolding and and working on that design, I know we were that stage that all of us were going down to Mexico, looking at murals, looking at anthropological sites and, uh, you know, bringing all this information, you know, because somebody said, Oh, do a Quetzalcoatl, and I knew what it looked like. I had drawn a Quetzalcoatl, but I really didn't know what it stood for or uh, what it symbolized. And and so, you know, I think one of the things about muralism is that you kind of become anthropologists and historians because you do research on on the concept, and so you're learning. You're constantly learning symbols and 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 ideas and that and so it's a it's a developing situation you know so um i um i'm i'm just glad that i worked on these murals um you know the first ramps at, at the park um and uh coming up with um what do we want to ask the community you know a very in a very different diplomatic uh, or democratic, I should say, way where everybody had some input into what the the concepts were and very issue-oriented. And so I know, well, what do we want to put up there? And then some guy I remember said, well, they don't teach us anything about our heroes or, or important people, either Mexicans or uh, Chicanos. And so we we started putting portraits up there on the first the first mural, and uh, we learned you know a lot about about our, our heroes, and you know that that included some that uh, were vandalized all the time, like uh, what's the name Maximiliano, um, and I remember we 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 put some that people then later on told us that they were involved in killing Zapata and stuff like that. And so we had to take them out. We learned, we learned as we, as we go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What, what were some of the challenges that you were facing that you faced as one of the early Chicano muralists in San Diego? Well, that I remember real good because the Chicanas were 
woman liberation was going on simultaneous with the Chicano movement and the black and and um, so I remember uh, women always saying, "Oh, there's 49 guys there and only 47 women there." So you know, it's got to be equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, that was one thing, and uh, you know, uh, I think. Uh, you know, cores, for instance, we were boycotting cores and not in a lot of Mexicans were drinking cores. And it was kind of an interesting thing where um, we had to educate those alcoholics that, that not to drink cores. So I remember we we have uh, those kind of interlaces between the community and the artists. You know what? Um, right, right. We had that problem too. Remember with people buying grapes back in the day when we were trying to boycott the grapes, and you actually had Rasa that were doing the exact. And I love grapes. Yeah, all of us did back in those days, but we wouldn't even touch them in back in back in the day. But some people were some Rasa were still buying them, um, and so that was kind of the difficulty. We were a little fragmented, I think, at times. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, but it, it was good to see that other people were doing doing very similar things and having similar problems. Right. What do you consider the highlight of your career uh, as a Chicano muralist, Victor? Or something? Well, I had so so much fun doing painting murals. You know, the very first day that I painted at Chicano Park, I looked at the wall and um, I touched the wall. And I remember it was kind of like, I don't know if it was an LSD flashback or or something, but I could feel the prehistoric part of, of painting murals. And I remember I read where some cave person put the pigment in his mouth and then blew out of a piece of uh, bamboo and used his hand as a stencil and blew the paint onto the cave wall and like leaving his uh, legacy there or something. That was kind of interesting. And the pre-Columbian murals, uh, of course, uh, were fantastic. And I did go finally go see a lot of things in temples and the Museum of Anthropology. And then the Mexican muralists, so it was like I'm looking at this, and all this stuff was kind of like coming coming at me, and I said, "Well, wow, that's a lot of pressure." And and then I'm looking at my compañeros and compañeras over here, and I said, "We're really carrying the torch of all this history." So it was like, "Oh man, you know, we really, you know, if I do a calaca, you know, I know I'm doing something that you know Posada might have done." or something that it's a pre-Columbian muralist might have done. So I was pressured to even do something even better than that. So I, I, I thought that was kind of a, I don't know. I know I'm not really answering your question. No, you are. You can you connect it on some kind of primal level is what it sounded like. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did. And it, it and that's remained to me with, with one of the fantastic things that happens when I paint a mural. I mean, I I do watercolors and and silk screens and and photography and you know different things like that. It's kind of a you know 
I know like my poster that I did when I was a kid um, is now in the Library of Congress, you know. So that was kind of like, I didn't even know really what the Library of Congress was, you know. It was like the Venice Biennale. Somebody said, oh, you're going to be showing at the Venice Biennale. You're only one or two groups representing the United States. I really didn't know what the Venice Biennale was. And when I went to Venice, it smelled like sewage, you know, and that, and that year they had some problems over there. I've been there before, afterwards, but I said, oh, this is Venice. It, it wasn't until later on people were telling me, well, that's, you know, like the height of visual arts uh, globally, you know, and and it, it was kind of kind of cool, you know, after you find out more about it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. How do you want to be remembered by future generations, Victor? Well, you know, I just got one of those blueprint uh, filing cabinets online. My son got it for me for a hundred bucks and eight, eight drawers. I always wanted to have one of those kind of professional storage bins. And uh, so I feel like I'm going to be cataloging and organizing my stuff a little bit better. I am very much um, want to want to make sure <clears throat> that my work and the is accessible to future generations. I I'd like to have like a, a scholarship for kids because I do I do a lot of um, workshops uh, with cultural Chicano um, things to them and. Uh, I would like to have something like that as as something to be remembered as mm -hmm. as um you know we have a museum now so mm -hmm. I just talking to Josie Talamantes last week and and I said man my I got a lot of stuff I don't I don't know that that museum is too small so we're 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 struggling to get another building um already we're not even in the first one and we already struggling to get another one what, what's the name uh, of the what's the uh, museum is this? What is the name of the museum? It's called uh, Chicano Park uh, Museum and Cultural Center. Beautiful. There in Avaria Logan. It's already got the climate control, already got uh, a gallery, all the interior, the floors, everything is finished. So mm -hmm. we're ready to, we're ready to move in any minute. Amazing. Um what advice do you have for uh, younger Chicanos that want to be muralists? Well, I'm always spewing that out, and um, I, I mean, um, I was brought up to just keep on, keep on working, and you know, knowing this society now, like when I was, when I was in elementary school, art was one of the prime, you know, things on my report card. I was like geometry, geography, language, math. And art was in there, and I don't even. I, I think they're they're trying to take that out. You know, I, I think it, you know for some reason. I kind of know some of the reasons why uh, the system doesn't want us to be more art, uh, more art oriented. I think it's we're harder to control if, if when we're artists. We know we're stronger individuals. Uh, when we do that, but what was your question? I kind of think I went off. Um, well, <laughs> what would your what would your advice be for young muralists, oh, young Chicano Latino muralists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and so it kind of feels like, you know, you want to be a basketball player. What To become a basketball player, what do you got to do? You got to like, you know, you got to, you know, compete, work, uh, you know, be entrepreneurial. I think uh, a lot of artists, they, they think everything is going to fall on their lap. You got to be like, you know, like a tycoon. I, I, that's, a, that's a kind of a bad word, but you got to be out there and, and uh, getting the word out, getting your work out. Um, and, um, you know, it, I don't think that anything really comes comes easy. And, you know, I, um, I'm always um, boosting their egos too because I know how important my boosting of my ego has, has helped me uh, survive. I tried uh, architecture and technical illustration and a lot of other things to survive financially, but um, I, I was bored with all that stuff. It wasn't until I did just art and then with the emphasis in education that, that uh, I was able to feel more comfortable. Throughout my life, I, I, uh, I always survived doing my art. You know, it was like, it was, uh, I was so lucky. And my mom kept on telling me, don't, don't do anything don't, just for money. Do, do it because you love it. And, you know, between that and being punctual are the two things my mom left me with. And that's serious. I'm punctual. I don't like Chicanos telling me, oh, that's people of color time and all that. I, I, I don't go for that. You know, and that's why I was sort of critical at that exhibit when I saw pan dulces and 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 flowers. I know I, I like aesthetics and I like uh, you know uh, color and and beauty and and all that. But when I think of Chicanos, I only I think of issues and and topics and 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 I feel that after so many years after over 50 years of doing that, my system digests all this shitty stuff, white supremacy, for instance, and I digest it and it comes back out not negative. It comes out beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really like where, oh, I'm thinking of the murdering of Anastasio at the border, but you look at my mural, Anastasio Hernandez Rojas, and it's the most beautiful the colors are all pearlescent acrylics. It's it's beautiful, and it's talking about fifteen officers at the border murdering a guy. Mm-hmm. So, it, well, what was the second thing you learned from your mom? You said the first one. You said punctuality. Let's uh, pay tribute to your mother. What was the second thing that you learned? The from second your mom? one I, I was saying is you do what you love to do. Ah, I almost went to go uh-huh. pick up pick tomatoes one day and uh, right right away a, a, a photography shop here in Tijuana hired me to do uh, negative retouch. I, I'm old enough where I retouched uh, negatives. I used to take pimples and double chins stuff out of passport photos. Mm-hmm. I was up there. Would, uh, what do we what do we need to do to preserve Chicano art for future generations? Well, I wrote a book on on the restoration of Chicano Park. Um, I'm sort of a technician. I've always been around paints 
like currently I'm painting one just like a lowrider. I'm using all the automobile paints, 30 pounds of gold metal flake and all candy apple uh, root beer airbrushed uh, on, on this last mural and uh, all the varnishes and, and that. So um, I, uh, I studied, you know, with uh, uh, different restores about Acroloid B72, about uh, different ways of, uh, of you know, uh, cutting the UV rays off of the pigment, what pigments to use. Uh, a lot of graffiti artists that I work with, they don't think about durability. And I've made them use mural shield and other varnishes to preserve even spray cans. Um, I think for the public arts, it's tougher to preserve things. Right now, I'm like around 50-year durability, you know, and then there should be a maintenance clause on a lot of murals. People need to realize that carbon monoxide and the salts and the, you know, the atmosphere and because we're so close to the bay, we need to clean and clean them with like a biodegradable um, detergent or water and water and and uh, baby them to to make them last longer. A lot of people we don't think in those terms. We've already been there fifty two years, so we sort of know what happens to paint that 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 doesn't get treated right. You know. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this <clears throat> on a more personal note. How do you think that being an art, an artist, how has that been part of your personal healing journey? Well, you know, I think it's it's got so many dimensions. I mean, I studied Egyptian uh, color healing, for instance, during during this process. So I know how to diagnose, you know, your liver through your fingernail color, your wax of your ears, your urine, your the white of your eyes. Uh, I know how to solarize things. Uh, um, the psychological part of it, I mean, there's so many, so many aspects of art that affect you in healing, uh, you know, physically. I mean, I now, when I eat a red tomato, I know what it's doing. I know where where it's heading, so I'm real conscious of of that. And, and when I like my kitchen over there, uh, you know, I I see you know I see it yellow, and I I know that yellow affects your digestive system. So um, you know, uh, when I think of what what color to put on a big wall, you know, it, it, it doesn't just, oh, I, I, I'm into purple this year, so I'm going to do it in purples. You know, I know, I went to Mexico City and did an autopsy on a, on a brain. Uh, they, you know, a lot of poor people in Mexico, they donate the bodies to the university. So I went over there and they, they, I said, I want to see a brain freshly uh, killed, I mean, or dead. Um, and uh, one of my cousins took the cranium off and showed me the the brain, so I know what color uh, the lavender 
beautiful lavender uh, color of the brain is. So now when I paint purples and lavenders, I always think of the brain and, uh, you know, studying uh, um, different aspects on how it affects you. And now that I'm getting older, I think the spirituality of painting and doing things balanced in colors and design is affecting me a lot. You know, I think uh, I I sense the spirituality, and especially when young people, I I see that it affects them as well. That really that really is a kick when you know. Right, and it's kind of a challenge. Oh, and by the way, you know that you and I share the same birthday, uh, August 2nd, by the way. <laughs> All right. Just as a side note. And that is kind of an interesting thing, you know, as your evolution is you're now, you know, you went from being a youth in the movement and one of the beginners to now being an elder in the community. What, right. how do you see that role now, now that you're on this side of the developmental uh, process, we shall say? Well, at first I didn't accept it. I, I'm one of the uh, organizers of Círculo de Hombres over here with the kids, uh, the male kids, and and trying to get them together in sweat lodges and things like that. Because uh, that's one of the my other efforts is to look at our indigenous heritage um, and be proud of it. And um, I remember when I be, when I was 52 years old, the kids said, oh, um, you know, they were looking at my Adidas, um, white Adidas um, shoes. And he said, oh, how come you don't, you don't wear moccasins? I said, yeah. I said, well, these are my, I'm an urban, I'm an urban person. I, this is my urban moccasins right here, man. They, they brought me a couch to sit on and stuff. I didn't want to admit that I was an elder and it still feels kind of, kind of strange, but I know it's an obligation, but I felt that responsibility and obligation uh, quite a bit since early on. Um, I uh, I like the fact that people listen to me a little bit more seriously, I think, or at least it seems like to to me. And, um, and like I said, I, most of the time I've been feeling respect, but I do feel a little bit more respect and um, from most people. Of course, there's always knuckleheads that don't respect anything, but um, um, I do feel that respect. And um, and the reason I'm doing podcasts now, I mean, I've been doing, I did one in France, for France last week. Uh, this one from all of Mexico now. My homies from LA. Um, I mean, I feel, you know, it's, it's fantastic, you know, that, um, you know, and, and the, it reminds me also of our our heritage of uh, grandfather grandmothership, uh, where you know we we talk to. I talk a lot more. I I used to be very introvert when I was a kid. Now, when I when I first started teaching at a university level, I said, "What the hell am I going to say in three hours? How am I going to keep all these students attentive for three hours?" And now. I, you know, I mean, I design my classes with videos, with with special guests, with field trips, with you know, images. Um, but um, it's um, 
it's one of those things where I can sit and talk and people listen and we talk together with as a group. And I think that's part of that, that senior, senior part of our, our culture, you know, that it's, uh, I really feel that, you know. Yeah. It's the documenting our history during, through, through words. And uh, you're an important part of that history to document. So how do you see the role of Chicano murals now in terms of our community healing? What, what, uh, what, what, it sounded to me like in the beginning, they were kind of, uh, we were getting our power back and expressing maybe even our rage because of all the oppression and everything else that we had endured. They were kind of like billboards too. They were, they were, I know some, some people uh, call it propaganda. Oh, you guys are just doing propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I see now that, that we restored murals that were 50 years old, um, 10 years ago when they were 40 years old, they were, they were, they were bleached out and the colors were bad. There was a disconnect between the old school and the younger generation. They were like, looking, oh, that, that's not really us. That's, that happened before in the past. But when we put good pigments and better materials and the colors just popped the hell out of, out of the walls, there was like, they, they came back and realized that they were part of that. And that that was really cool to see this whole upcoming generation here in Logan. All these young women artists, a lot of lot mm-hmm. of young women artists uh, becoming artists, maybe a little bit prematurely, but at least they're ac- accepting it. They they're also healers. They you know I, a lot of the women that uh, became artists young are also realizing their healing powers, their curandera uh, parts to them. And, and that's that's really good. They're opening these storefronts. They're selling their their work. You know, it's it's um, it's really been an a interesting thing. I hope that gentrification just doesn't, like, you know, kill it somehow. I, I, I have the, the weird feeling that they're going to just... Um, you know, kick you know, kick us out with rents and stuff like that. Gosh, I hope not. I we would hope not. Um, and <clears throat> thank you so much. One final question: What would you like to see in the future for Chicano art? Let's say a hundred years from now, what would your personal vision be, or, or your hopes for the future for Chicano art? Well, I've been seeing you know some things like like when when Magu passed away. I went to Irvine and I saw the the catalog and uh, I said, "Wow, that's that's fantastic to see a beautiful catalog." It took them four years to put together, well put together. I said, "That that's a step forward." I I appreciate documentation. I appreciate archive, uh, historical uh, saving of things. Uh, um, I appreciate. Uh, you know, um, traveling shows. I think, I think uh, maybe I I remember a black black show that was put together by the Smithsonian or something, and they traveled that around. Like it, they said, oh, they're in Cannes. So we're, we're 
traveling it around. But um, I know from my work, I think if I left it at the museum, I would want some stipulation that it's not just going to be in a warehouse. I want it to be uh, rotating somewhere, going uh, pieces in different places. You know, actually, if I do form a trust, as I think I'm supposed to, it, it includes a curator, a family person, and a a uh, you know a curator, uh, a lawyer. I think <laughs> I think that's one of the mix, and uh, to to preserve and protect and and continue uh, our work. You know, and and that, uh, that just because we die, the work you know goes into some kind of a family housing and, and, and it, it sort of died. I don't want it to die. I don't want it to, to I want it to be shown. And I know we're very well received in France. Like I was unbelievable that um, how much the French know about Chicanos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I painted a mural in Lyon uh, years ago and, I got a sense that they were, they were pretty, um, and they're into these podcasts. It, young people are, are with these ear ear pods are, are like listening to this all the time. You know, it's like it's, it's pretty pretty important. Well, I have to say, thank you so much. We're going to be tying up our podcast. You know, what an honor it has been for me to sit here and have a conversation with you about Chicano art. You are truly one of the legends and icons of Chicano artists and very well respected. And it has just been such a mind-blowing experience to hear about your experiences and thoughts as an artist and a real honor. And I just kind of want to make sure that for our listeners, you know, the work begins now. We have to encourage young artists. We have to advocate for arts education. We have to donate donate to arts causes. Find Victor's, Victor's Museum in San Diego and, and donate to that. And so uh, with that in mind, we are going to uh, finish off. Uh, next week, we're going to be having another stellar Chicano uh, art icon. Uh, and please stay tuned and come, come in next for the next show. Thank you for joining us on Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art. Please continue to tune into our series as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx Art. Also, don't forget to visit the website www.latinoarte.com in order to view the beautiful array of Chicano Latinx art that is available to add to your own collection. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.